feeling us, Lord, that we would know that we are yours, that we would know, Lord, that our hearts are hidden with you for all of eternity. Because of that, God, we rejoice and we open your word once again, realizing that this is your message to your people. May we be receptive of it here in this place today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't you turn to your neighbor and tell him, Happy Sunday. Just working. Go ahead and turn your Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 3. We'll be picking up at verse 1. And as always, we'd like for you to follow along with us. And if you do not have a Bible with you today, if you raise your hands, the ushers will bring one to you. Does anybody need a Bible? We have one up here. Everybody else good? Uh, just a couple of things before we get into our study. First of all, we took up a collection last week, or at least they made the, the need known for uh, Ann Lett, who has gone to be with the Lord. And um, her family needed help on uh, just the preparation, the funeral costs, and all of that. Um, the costs, I believe, were around $1,100. Well, we've raised like $1,600. And so that was a blessing. I've paid the bill, and then the rest we're going to use for travel expenses because they are, they're in Arizona, and they're going to have the services here and uh, just to cover whatever other expenses there's going to be for that day. So after today, we're not going to be taking any more. So um, God provided exceedingly abundantly, and it's just such a blessing. Um, it's sneaking up on us, but it's coming, our Resurrection Day services. It's two weeks from today. Easter is two weeks from today. Didn't we just have Christmas? <laughs> Didn't 2019 just happen? Um, it's just amazing how fast that comes. Um, what that tells me is, other than Easter, who are you going to invite? Um, it's an interesting concept. Our church doubles on Easter Sunday, and that's a good thing because people need to hear the Word of God. Um, but we need to be praying for them. We need to be praying what the Lord wants to do that day. That day is an opportunity to minister to people who do not have a relationship with the Lord. And so we start off in prayer. And so we dedicate the week before Easter Sunday as a week of prayer and fasting. So be prepared. You don't get to eat for a whole week. No, that's not the case. Although, that's what God is leading you to. Just, just whatever it might be. Now, this isn't Lent or anything like that. This is just being sharpened, your senses sharpened to the Lord and what the Lord wants to do that day. And so I just asked, my wife and I, we fast through the whole week, but we do so with what we call a Daniel fast, just vegetables and fruits and stuff along those lines. Uh, you can ask my wife, she knows better, because I just eat what's put before me. Um, but we do fast that, that week, and we skip some meals and whatnot. And again, it just senses that when, we're, you know, when, when you're hungry and you're, you're experiencing those hunger pains, you're reminded of what you're praying for. That's the idea behind a fast. And so if it's just one day, if it's one meal, however the Lord leads you, but we just invite you to join us that week for a week of prayer and fasting. Also, we'll be meeting Monday night, Tuesday night, and Wednesday night here in the sanctuary for a time of prayer. 
we just gather together. We'll have different things to be praying about. We'll gather together in just small groups, and we'll be praying together. And so um, invite you to come out 7 o'clock in the evening, any one of those days. Uh, we'll be having our usual Thursday evening service that week. We'll be having a Good Friday service that week at 7 o'clock here. Then Easter Sunday, which is two weeks from today, there's going to be a little bit different. It's going to be 8.30 and 11 o'clock. So if you show up at 10, you're going to be betwixt and between the times. And so um, we'll be doing mailers, and we'll have next week we'll have some things to stuff on the bulletin that you can pass out to family and friends, where, who, yeah, whoever it may be. Go ahead and stand for the reading of God's Word. Second Peter chapter 3. I'm actually going to start reading from verse 1. Beloved, so once again, Peter is writing to the church here. Beloved, I now write to you this second epistle, in both of which I stir up your pure minds by way of reminder, that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior. So just keep in mind in that little uh, verse there, he's, it's in direct contrast to the false teachers that he had been spoken uh, speaking of before. So what he's he's speaking of now is based upon the truth that has come from God. Verse 3, knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days walking according to their own lusts, and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. For this they willfully forget, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, by which the word that then existed perished. I'm sorry, the world that then existed perished, being flooded with water. But the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and the perdition of ungodly men. But, beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burnt up. Therefore, since all these things will dissolve, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and new earth in which righteousness dwells. Father, once again, as we get into your word, I pray that you would bless us. I pray that you would guide us through it. And as you do, we would see these realities on days yet still to come. Maybe in our lifetime, nobody knows, but nonetheless, we are to continue to be aware of these things, and I pray, Father, that awareness would motivate us in all that you have, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead and be seated. There are five main views concerning the future history of the world and the path that is taking us there. Not all biblical, matter of fact, only one is really biblical, although we can see uh, parts of these things in the scriptures. The first is the idea of inevitable progress, the thought that we are constantly progressing towards the better. I got to believe things are getting better, getting better all the time, the prophet John Lennon wrote at one point. But 
if you ponder the past and you compare it to the present and project it to the future, they believe that society is headed to paradise. They believe that society is headed to a time when there will be no incurable diseases. Problem is, we come up with a cure with that which was incurable, and then a new one pops upon the scene. All the races and nations will live in harmony. We continue to deal with, with racial prejudice, and, and, and this just doesn't seem to be going away, because man in the flesh will never dwell together in harmony. There is going to be a one-world rule with one-world religion. The idea behind that is, what is it that divides nations today? Well, is the different rulers and the different societies, if we can unify all those together. Well, then all of the religions and the difference in the religions, if we can unify all the religions together, then we'll have perfect harmony. Well, the problem is that that's just not going, wait a minute, it is going to happen. I've read to the end of the book, and we do see it there at a time in the future. But just imagine, imagine all the world living as one. You may say, I'm a dreamer, but I'm not the only one. (laughs) I say that to be funny, but to be serious, because the philosophy is there. The philosophy is there. And there are those who believe that these things are going to happen, and this is going to bring in a one-world rule, and it's going to bring in a one-world religion. And the leader of it is not going to be Jesus Christ, but the leader of it is going to be the Antichrist. Secondly, the second idea is that history is a matter of cycles. The various empires that rise up reach a level of complacency. They decline and they disappear. Well, we have seen this. Egypt used to be the most powerful nation in the world, and now it's a third world country. Rome, pretty much the same. England, England on its way to third world country as well. Some say that the United States is past the peak of its cycle. And the idea is, again, the globalist today, the one who believes in really the first point that I pointed out, they're trying to do away with this cycle and unify, again, the world as one, but they're trying to do it apart from a relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, Solomon, King Solomon in Ecclesiastes, he examined this concept of things going in a cycle, cyclical And as he did, he did so apart from the knowledge of God. So in Ecclesiastes, he looked at things under the sun or apart from God. And he came to this one of his conclusions in Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 9. That which has been is what will be. That which is done is what will be done. And there is nothing new under the sun. Things are just going to be going and going on and going through their continuous cycles. That's what he examined in the first chapter. Thirdly, there's the second law of thermodynamics, that the cosmos are a clock that has been wound up and is now winding down. The sun is getting smaller, which I believe it is. The earth is in a state of disrepair, and there will come a time when life is no longer possible. And so... There is some biblical truths, pieces of truths in this. But again, that doesn't, for the world, it doesn't point to the Lord. Fourthly, there is the view that history is a meaningless, lawless, and shapeless sequence of events. We'll call this one Doris Day philosophy. Que sera, sera, whatever will be, will be. The future is not ours to see. Que sera, sera. 
It's just a don't worry, be happy kind of thing and let things run their course. And then we see the fifth view is the biblical view, the future of world history. And that's what Peter is talking about here. Remember what we talked about the last couple of weeks is false teachings. And these false teachings are going to lead to these first four views that we talked about or combinations thereof. But the problem with that is it's going to lead mankind to a point of despair and definitely not into the throne room of God. Matter of fact, man believes that this is as close to heaven as he's going to get. Well, apart from Jesus Christ, he's right. But God's got something so much better for us. And so we see the world, it's going to be in a state of decline, and then it's really going to pick up on that last seven years. So Peter knows that his life is nearing its end. Uh, most theologians believe the writing of Second Peter, Peter had about another year before his death. False teachers are always going to abound, and the ideas of man are going to be abundant, but the truths of God are going to reign forever. And so the recipients of this letter are about to enter into a time of intense trials. Keep in mind, I pointed it out before, Nero is seated upon the throne, throne, throne of Rome. Nero was insane. He's starting to persecute not only Jews, but the church in Rome. And Peter knew that this was going to be coming to the surrounding countryside, or really the surrounding area of the Mediterranean. And so he's writing this to the churches to prepare them of the trials and tribulations that are going to come, so that when they come, they wouldn't be taken by surprise. They would know that these things were talked about, and this reality of this hardship that is coming in is all part of the Christian life. Our hardships are part of our Christian life here on earth. When we get into heaven, that's when the things that the earth is seeking or the world is seeking about will realize these things. We'll realize harmony. We'll realize true fellowship. We'll realize the presence of the Lord. But the world is never going to achieve that apart from Jesus Christ. And so his final thought, Peter's final thoughts, he wants to leave the church with hope. Hope in God, because that's what God left him with. If you will, turn over in your Bible in John chapter 13, verse 31. Jesus knows and he conveys the information that his life is going to be required of him. That's been the plan. In verse 31 it says, So when he had gone out, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him immediately. Little children, I shall be with you a little while longer. You will seek me, and as I said to the Jews, where I am going, you cannot come. So now I say to you, he's speaking to Peter, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another." Now, Peter is about to enter into a time of great trials, and so continuing on, Jesus tells him, well, first we hear from Peter, Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you shall follow me afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for your sake. Jesus answered him, will you lay down your life for my sake? Most surely I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. But then in the midst of that, can you imagine Peter? I'm going to deny the Lord because everything like the Lord says always comes to pass. And so 
he could have just left them in despair, but Jesus obviously chose, uh, chose not to. He gave them great hope. Entering into chapter 14, let your heart let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And then he speaks of his coming and so on and so forth. And so that's the idea behind what Peter's doing. He's wanting him to be prepared for the hardship that is going to be going on in the future. We're going to be suffering hardship as the world continues to get worse and worse, leading to the time of the Antichrist, which possibly could even be in our day, could even be in our time. And so we need to be well prepared for those times so that we know that God hasn't left us nor forsaken us, but... These things are playing out just as he said they would, but that same power that rose Jesus from the grave is the same power that dwells inside of us all who are born-again believers here today. And it's through that power that we are going to be able to endure whatever difficulty enters into our life, plus telling others of the ability, or at least what God has offered to them, that they would come into his kingdom and they would be able to endure or maybe avoid judgment as well. So instead of looking down about all of this, we, the church, need to be looking up. Peter's point, may your focus not be here in this world. Don't be worldly-minded, but be heavenly-minded. Look up to heaven in our glorious future. And so... Peter, Peter gives good evidence why we should be doing so, and doing so, and I believe in our day, even more intently. And so I'll repeat this, but I'll say this right now. Nobody knows the day of the Lord's coming. Nobody. Anybody who has ever said that they've known in the past, everybody has been wrong. But I believe we should live our lives as if it's going to happen even today, but definitely in our time. I'll give you evidences today why I believe it's going to come in our time, but I know that it very well may not come in our time. And so we need to conduct our Christian lives as if these things could happen at any moment because the things that I'm going to be talking about could happen at any moment. We just don't know. And so Peter gives this evidence, and the idea is his judgment is delayed for now, and grace is bestowed upon mankind, but it's not going to be that way forever. And so really what he's talking about in the first seven verses that I've read here in Second Peter, he's talking about the delay of the Lord. Again, verse 4 saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning. The idea is nothing ever changes. For this they willfully forget. And then he goes in and he talks about the flood. And the flood, they were married and given in marriage. They were living their lives as normal. Then all of a sudden, boom, instantly, the flood came upon them and they all perished. And just as that happened in the past, it will happen again, not by a flood, but it will happen again, these end-time events when the Lord comes. And so then Peter, he now turns his attention from the delay of the Lord to the day of the Lord. So in order to get our terms straight, we've looked at this before, but by way of reminder, we have a series of terms that we need to be aware of to get a proper understanding of eschatology or the studies of end times. Now, some of these are going to be biblical, some will be theological. When I say theological, this is a term that those who study the Bible have come up with in order to describe a biblical concept. 
And so first term is day of man. It's a theological term, but this is a time when, no, don't get me wrong, God is always in control, but God gives us the choice. Are you going to walk in the Lord? Are you going to walk away from the Lord? Are you going to be obedient to the Lord? Are you going to come to the Lord? These decisions that we had to make, and we should be able to see the realities of these in our lives as we heard the gospel and came into that relationship with Jesus Christ. But how many of us know so many people that heard the gospel and chose not to come into that relationship with Jesus Christ? This would be what we call the church age, and God has given us the opportunity to receive of that free gift of salvation that he has to offer or to refuse it. After the day of man is going to be the day of Jesus Christ. Philippians 1.6, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. The day of Jesus Christ is going to be one of the shortest days ever. It's going to be the time of the rapture. It's going to be that which signifies the end of the church age or the end of the days of man. And so this is that time when Jesus comes in a moment in a twinkling of an eye to grasp his church away. Now, there are three views on that, which I'm not going to get into. There is the view that the rapture does not happen until after the tribulation. There's a view that the rapture happens in the midst of the tribulation or the middle of the tribulation. And then there's the view that the rapture happens before the beginning of the tribulation. That's the Calvary Chapel position, and that's the position that I believe. It's not heresy to believe any other way. There are some good teachers that teach the other views, but... Biblically, this is what I see, this is what Calvary Chapel holds to. So there is going to be the church age, the church age will end at the rapture of the church, and then that will usher in the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord consists of the tribulation, the second coming of Christ, the millennial age, the white throne judgment, and the destruction of the earth, which we have described here in the verses that I've read previously. And then lastly, and this is very lastly, there's the day of God. The day of God is when a new earth is created and we will forever be with him. And so those terms define so we can understand what's going on and what Peter is writing about. Now this is concerning the day of Jesus Christ and the day of the Lord. So verse 8. But beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. It's amazing the way people try to justify things by this verse. I've heard the seven days of creation try to be justified as having millions of years or thousands of years, and they use this verse, but they take it out of context. The context here is the second coming of Jesus Christ and the things that are all going to pertain to that. And so, no one knows the time of the rapture, as I said before. But if you are not paying attention, if you are looking down, you had better refocus because the one thing I do know is we are a lot closer today than we were, or mankind was, at the writing of this epistle. And I know we're even closer today than we were yesterday. And what I mean by that, this is definitely coming. We need to be aware. Jesus told us to watch. Watch for the signs of the time. Watch for the reality of his word and how his word integrates into those times. So when is Jesus coming back? So, again, one of the things that I use to have my, or to keep my senses sharpened, I'm not making a prediction here, but just something for a consideration. He's just said, Peter, a thousand years is as one day, 
One day is as a thousand years. How long has Jesus been gone? Well, now he's been gone 2,000 years, or he's been gone two days. And we're just entering into the third day, if you will, that third thousand-year period since the Lord has left. Three is the number. Theologians, it's just they've done studies in the Word of God and come up with this system. It's called numeretics as far as what certain numbers mean and what they symbolize. Three is the number of divine completion, which is kind of interesting. But something else to ponder Old Testament times, they consisted of about 4,000 years or four days. The church age, so far, 2,000 years or two days. This gives us a total of six days or 6,000 years. But if you look at it from the perspective of six days, that means we have one more day. One more day to fulfill a week. And what's that last day? That last day would be the Sabbath day. What is it when... Christ comes back and the tribulation is over, there's going to be that thousand year, here's another section of a thousand, and last day, that thousand year reign of Jesus Christ, when we are going to have just miraculous things happen. Christ will be dwelling with his people, he'll be, will be ruling and reigning with him, and it's just going to be an amazing Sabbath time. And so right now, we're one day short of this Sabbath day, or that thousand years, of rest before the day of God is going to come. Seems to me that very possibly we could be on the threshold of the millennial age, which again, you're going, we have the church age, the rapture of the church, the tribulation, seven years of tribulation, and then the millennial age is going to come. And so my point here is, isn't to predict when this is going to happen, but it's nearer than when we first believed. It's at the very door. It definitely could happen in our lifetime. It could not happen in our lifetime. But the point is, is to be prepared. Luke twenty one twenty eight says, Now when these things begin to happen, he's talking about the signs of the end times, look up and lift up your head because your redemption draws near. So be aware. Be aware that what we've been talking about, what the Bible talks about, the fulfillment of it, it could happen instantly. It could happen at any time. But allow that to be a joy in your heart. When we see how evil the world has become, don't take joy in evil, but understand that this is what the Bible said was going to happen. As we see the state of our society, and we see these things that are going on that are, are just completely godless, understand that the Lord said that these things are going to happen. Don't rejoice in that. We need to see that people are saved and come into a relationship with Jesus Christ, but also understand that God's plan is being played out. And the good thing about it is he's seated upon the throne. He's in the place of authority. And so he's overseeing everything that plays out. Don't lose hope. Don't lose confidence. Don't become bummed and blue and depressed about these things. Don't rejoice that the world is going this way, but rejoice in God's plan being worked out and enter into that plan and fulfill your ministry and do your part in the midst of that plan. And as we do that, we just see that this is what God has intended, and it's a good thing. Verse 9, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. 
And the idea here is, it's like, okay, where's the end times? Paul said that he was living in the end times, and that was almost 2,000 years ago as well. And it didn't happen then. And there were people that have made predictions. There were some people that seemed to be pretty good Bible teachers that even made predictions, and it didn't come to pass. Well, how come God is being slack? He's not being slack. God's got a plan. He's got his own timetable. He inhabits eternity, so he is living that timetable, if you will. And he's waiting. He's waiting. Why? Because he's long-suffering to those who are saved. So keep in mind, and I'm not saying we don't pray this prayer, but we were talking about in our Wednesday morning study, every time I pray that prayer that Jesus would come back today, remember the ramifications of that. Remember how evil society is going to become. But even more than that, think of those who, well, if Jesus comes back today, if he comes for the, and raptures the church today, Think of the loved ones. Think of the people in your sphere of influence who are going to be going through the tribulation. Think of the people who are going to be killed. Maybe they'll get saved, but they'll be killed for their faith. Think of the the hardship and and, and those who will be condemned to hell for all of eternity. And again, we desire that the Lord comes. But understand, the reason God is so long-suffering is because the great love that he has for the lost. And so he displays that love for the lost by delaying his coming. We display the love of the lost by speaking of his coming. And so not my will, Lord, but your will be done. Verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, that means unexpectedly, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burnt up. Kind of an amazing concept when you think that this was written some 2,000 years ago, but what it is describing here that they could not possibly have known about in Peter's day. And so all this is going to happen with a great noise. Now that term great noise is also used to describe the whistling of an arrow or the rushing sound of a great wind or fire. And what seems to be described here, again, that Peter couldn't have possibly known, not by himself, but as a nuclear explosion. It's my understanding that when there's a nuclear explosion, there's this great sucking of wind that happens. I guess, I, 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 from what I recall, it's, it's an in and then it's an out thing as the explosion goes and it releases its energy. Now, a nuclear explosion is the chain reaction that starts when neutrons strike the heavy uranium or plutonium nucleus, which splits, releasing a tremendous amount of energy along with two or more neutrons, which in turn split more nuclei and so on. So that's what's called the chain reaction. So you're able to split that atom, then it releases its nuclei, or uh, um, whatever, neutrons, and then it goes and it, it, it splits others, and so you got this chain reaction, and you have this big explosion. Now, uranium is one of the elements, the few elements, that man is able to split. Just think of what God is able to do as he's able to split any, any and all elements that have ever existed. What happens when God says, okay, that's the end. Now we're talking about the time that the earth is going to be destroyed. So right now, we've, we've looked at the rapture. 
the tribulation time, not getting into detail of that here. Peter chooses not to. The second coming of Jesus Christ, and then we're going through all of the millennial age, the great white throne judgment, and then there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. And so that's what Peter is describing here. When the Lord says it's time for that to go away, he's going to destroy it down to its very core. And so... We have this comment here, the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt with fervent heat. The idea behind that is the elements, the elements of the periodic table, all of those elements that are there. And again, it's all of these atoms that are going to be split of oxygen, helium, hydrogen, and everything else I actually used to have that memorized in high school and I was thinking I can't even remember how many elements are on there anymore does anybody have the periodic table memorized (laughs) just curious (laughs) I was going to have you stand up and state it no (laughs) but also elements can be described as kind of interesting elements of the Greek alphabet alpha beta delta gamma Now, the results of a nuclear blast is the release of radiation, such as alpha, beta, delta, and gamma rays. And so the Bible is speaking of these things that they couldn't possibly have known then, but God did. And this isn't Peter just writing things down. This is Peter writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And so you can go to the textbook to understand these things, or you can go to the Bible and understand how these things relate, how a nuclear explosion would relate to humanity. Man has been able to harness. He's got a super-enriched uranium and plutonium and and, and some of these man-made things that, that he does so that he's able to split these things. I can't speak of these things in detail because I, I don't know if you know this, but I'm not a nuclear physicist. I, I don't know if I know how to even per, uh, spell it, let alone be it. But there's going to come a time when there is going to be nuclear war. The Bible seems to play that out. Now, I'm not talking about this time. We're backing back up once again, and I'm just inserting this by way of understanding. The Bible seems to speak of a time that there is going to be a nuclear war. And it seems to speak of this thing very, very clearly. Now, in Ezekiel chapter 39, we've got this time when Russia seems to be rising up and rising up with some of its allies against Israel. And there is going to be this war that either happens on this side of the rapture or on the other side of the rapture, but happens nonetheless. Personally believe that the war that is being described here happens before the rapture. Why do I think it happens before the rapture? Because I think the Antichrist is going to rise up. He's going to work out a peace treaty, a peace deal, and they're going to have that peace that the world sought after for the first three and a half years of the tribulation. And then in the second half of the tribulation, it's going to fall apart. But that's beside the point right now. But in Ezekiel chapter 39, verses 11 through 19, I'm sorry, 16, it says, It will come to pass in that day that I will give Gog. Now, Magog is this Soviet Union confederation. Gog would be the leader over that. We've seen the various Russian leaders and how they rise to the forefront, and we see the hardness of their heart and and just all that they have done. Well, that 
can just fit into this just so easily. I will come to pass in that day that I will give Gog, or that leader, a burial place there in Israel, in the valley of those who pass by east of the sea, and it will obstruct travelers, because there they will bury Gog and all of his multitude. Therefore they will call it the valley of Haman Gog. For seven months the house of Israel will be burying them in order to cleanse the land. Indeed, all the people of the land will be burying, and they will gain renown for it on that day that I am glorified, says the Lord God. They will set apart men regularly employed with the help of a search party to pass through the land and bury those bodies remaining on the ground in order to cleanse it. And at the end of seven months, they will make a search. The search party will pass through the land, and when anyone sees a man's bones, he shall set up a marker by it till the barriers have buried it in the valley of Hamongog. The name of the city will also be called Hamaniah, and thus they shall cleanse the land. And then we see in Zechariah 14.12, And this shall be the plague which the Lord will strike the people who fought against Jerusalem. Their flesh shall dissolve while they stand on their feet, and their eyes shall dissolve in their sockets, and their tongues shall dissolve in their mouths. So again, all these things describe what we saw at Hermosia and Nakasaki. These people who were instantly just vaporized for the most part. And again, what is the result of those nuclear explosions and all that happens? is radiation and so these bodies these bodies they see these bodies must be buried something's got to be done with and so they're going through the land during that time in that future battle and they're disposing of these bodies for the sake of the future generations or at least what they believe are going to be the future generations but at that time there's not going to be much time left a couple of interesting things concerning these things and the word of god So looking at God and how God is long-suffering and God's got a plan and God's working it out. We see the evilness of mankind and his influence in history, but understanding man cannot work apart from God. Just a couple of things I want to look at here. First, I want you to consider how close you came to speaking German today. How close you came for Nazi Germany to be able to prevail in the war. Now, first of all, I need to preface with what God told Abraham in Genesis 12:3. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. And really what he's speaking of, he's speaking of the future generations, and he's speaking of Israel and God's hand of protection upon Israel. In Zechariah 2:8, for thus says the Lord of hosts, he sent me after glory to the nations which plunder you, for he who touches you touches the apple of his eye. Again, to touch the apple of somebody's eye, that's your pupil, that's to poke somebody in the eye. Hitler was poking God in the eye by the Holocaust. But, again, we need to see just how close we came. It never was going to come, become, Germany was never going to prevail in the war. We know this in hindsight because God's hand was upon the whole thing, but nonetheless... At the time of the rise of Nazi Germany, the persecution of the Jews intensified to an amazing level. My wife, I pointed it out before, but she has a diary. Her relatives were uh, German, and they were in Nazi Germany during that time. And they speak of time coming down the Autobahn. More and more tanks today came down the Autobahn. The businesses that had Stars of David were ransacked tonight. We heard all this noise and these sirens and all these things. It's kind of amazing to see it from their perspective. But these things happened leading up to World War II. And so 
before World War II, many German Jews sought refuge in other countries. Three men who were blessed to seek refuge in the United States were Albert Einstein, Robert Oppenheimer, and Enrico Fermi. These were all instrumental in the development of the nuclear bomb. Now think what happens if Germany got the nuclear bomb. They would have brought the world to its knees. Well, it wasn't God's timing, and this was never going to happen, but you just see how God is working out his plan. So all three were connected with and rejected by Germany, embraced by the United States, and again critical to the development of the nuclear bomb. If Germany embraces those men, then they get the bomb. But again, God said, I'll bless those who bless you, and I'll curse him who curses you. And Hitler is around no longer, nor are his henchmen. Evil is always going to be here, and it's not that we're the nuclear bomb is a blessing. It's, it's anything but a blessing, and you can go off in that direction. But the big blessing is, is that Germany didn't have it. They don't got it. But in some certain, for, yeah, some certain future point, it does seem like there is going to be nuclear war on this earth. Another interesting thing, floating around in the nucleus of every atom are positive charged protons. The law of electricity tells us that particles, like particles, repel one another. And scientists cannot understand what it is that keeps atoms together. I mean, an atom should just blow apart all by itself. But there's something that keeps these atoms together, which they've never really been able to pinpoint. They call this unforeseen force, or this unseen force, atomic glue. But there's going to come that, well, just the, that, that's where you get the nuclear explosion. When you release that bond, it releases a huge amount of electricity, I'm sorry, power. And when that is released again, it releases the nuclei that release others. So now you have this instant release of power, and that's what is a chain reaction that produces the nuclear explosion, is the release of that nuclear glue. Again, we're only able to do it with a few elements. What is it that holds it together? Well, the Bible's very clear. It's been very clear up to this point, and so it continues to be so. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 17, speaking of Jesus Christ, it says, And he is before all things, and in him all things consist, or all things literally says all things are held together. Jesus is holding these things together. He's holding all of creation together for his reasons and his purpose, and his reasons and purpose are the salvation of mankind. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3 says, Jesus, who is the brightness of God's glory and the express image of his person, and upholding or holding together all things by the word of his power when he had by himself purged our sins and sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Now you hear that Russia has their finger on the button, or the United States has their finger on the button, and now India, England, France, and I don't remember the other, Pakistan, they all have their finger on the button. No, God's got his finger on the button. And his button is a lot bigger than their button. And so that's the great hope that we have. Now they speak of the great bang, the big bang theory. Well, yeah, God's spoken into existence, and bang, there it was. But there's going to be the big bang theory in reverse, that one day Jesus is going to allow all these things he holds together, he's going to allow them to be released. And once he releases them, 
there's going to be an explosion as man has never known. So today, we're in the church age. At some point, there's going to be the rapture of the church. If you're a born-again believer here today, you'll be taken instantly in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. But then there's going to come a time of hardship that the world has never known. They think they're going to have world unity. It's going to seem like it for a period of time, about three and a half years. But then the Antichrist, who is the puppet of the devil, is going to reveal himself. And the tribulations on this planet are going to start that this planet, as this planet has never known. And then there is going to be coming the second coming of Jesus Christ. We will be coming with him as witnesses. And he is going to, by the power of his mouth, he is going to defeat the enemies, his enemies of this world. The Antichrist and the false prophet will be thrown into what we know to be hell here today. The devil is going to be bound and that will usher in the millennial age. And for a period of a thousand years, this world is going to be unified under Jesus Christ as it never has. But after a thousand years, the devil is going to be released one last time. He's going to deceive some, come back up against Jesus Christ, but he's going to overcome him once more by the power of his word. Then that ushers in the great white throne judgment. That's when all the dead will be gathered before the throne of God, the dead apart from Christ, and they will be judged. Books will be opened. There will be the Lamb's book of life, and as they will not be found written in that Lamb's book of life, because all those standing before that judge, Jesus Christ, at that moment, will not be written in that book, then other books will be opened. Those other books will be the books of their works, and they will be judged according to the works. And the idea is they had better be perfect, and they will not be perfect, and then they, in turn, with the devil, will be cast into what we call hell for all of eternity. This world... Jesus will release it, it will be destroyed, and then there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. Verse 11. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, since everything, you know, you've heard the expression, it's all going to burn, well, that's where it comes from. Since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? That verse just speaks volumes. Since this is going to happen, and you're not going to be destroyed with it, matter of fact, Jesus has got a new heaven and a new earth for you, what kind of person ought you to be today? What, what ought you to be setting yourself doing today based upon these things that your loved ones will perish if this would to, be, to happen even right now? That your neighbors, whoever it might be, what kind of person in your holy conduct, in your witness, ought you to be? He says in verse 12, looking for the hastening and the coming of the day of God because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. How then should we live? We need to live with our eyes to the skies waiting for the prize, but our weight needs to be an active weight as we continue to grow in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, as we continue to witness, as we continue to be that example. Now, I I took this survey quite a few years ago, probably about 10 years ago, 15 years ago, something like that. I just want to raise of hands. And, you know, again, nobody knows the day or the hour that Christ is coming, so nobody here is necessarily going to be wrong. But just to make a point, how, how many of you believe that Jesus Christ is going to come back in the next 100 years? Just raise your hand. Okay, good. How many believe, and you can raise your hand again, how many believe that he's going to come back in the next 10 years? 
Okay. How about the next five years? How many believe that he's going to come back within the next year? How many believe he's going to come back in the next five minutes? Well, I've got a... <laughs> I've got a... You've you got a problem here. Because Luke chapter 12, verse 40, Therefore you also be ready... For the Son of Man is coming in an hour when you least expect it. So the greater probability is Jesus coming back in the next five minutes than him coming back sometime 100 years from now. And is he going to come back in five minutes? I wouldn't mind and I wouldn't protest. But the idea here is, is that we have to be prepared. Our little survey says we're not prepared for the next five minutes. We're prepared for way out, for 100 years. I'll be dead. No. Be prepared today. Be prepared in your salvation and your relationship with Jesus Christ and be prepared doing the work that God has set you to do. Why? Because the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, at a time when is least expected. And we just proved here today that the time that is least expected is five minutes from now. Or at least, well, now it's probably three minutes, so it's <laughs> clicking down. Father, once again, we just thank you for your word, Lord. And just the whole point to that is, Father, I pray that we would be a people who are prepared. And so, Lord, just as Peter was writing to the church today, we must take, we must embrace this message. And the basic idea behind this message isn't to scare anybody into heaven, but those who are going to heaven, that it would motivate us, Lord, for the work to which you have called us to do. And so, Father, I just pray that we would be found faithful, Lord, in your calls and in your commands. And as we are, God, just continue to do a great work in and through us. And so, Lord, we just lift up this morning, thanking you for it, praying, God, that you'd be glorified in all that we do, Lord. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you all stand, please? We'll have a couple up here for prayer. My wife and I will be in the back if anybody wants to know more about a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, tonight we have service at 6 o'clock. We're back into Second Chronicles. And just keep it up in prayer. We have the week of prayer and fasting that starts a week from Monday. Not this Monday, but a week from Monday. Uh, next week we'll be looking at Palm Sunday. And then we'll be moving into our resurrection season. God bless you all. In this next song, uh, Even So Come, it talks about uh, being a church waiting for him. Let's uh, just let's be that way. Let's uh, anticipate his arrival at any minute.
afternoon. God bless you guys. Have a wonderful week. Anticipate that return, but right now there's prayer up front.